Welcome to City on a Hill Church, Forest Hills podcast. We exist to lead people to love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coahforesthills.org. All right. So we are continuing in our series in Genesis. This week, we pick up Abraham's story in Genesis 21. So in the previous chapters, just to sort of take a quick look back, we've heard of Abraham's uh, prayer for the salvation of Sodom. Stephen did a really excellent job handling that difficult text. We've heard of God's rescue of Lot and the majority of his family from that situation. We've heard about Abraham's dealings with Abimelech. Uh, I've been practicing how to say that name all week. Uh, So here in chapter 21, we pick up with the story of this promise that's given to Abraham and Sarah, that they would one day have a child who would be heir to the covenant promises that God has made. God made Abraham way back in Genesis 17, this promise, and really all the way back in Genesis 12, a promise that he will make Abraham a great nation, that he will bless him so that in turn, Abraham and his family can be a blessing to the nations, to the world. This is the covenant promise of God to Abraham. So looking at our text in Genesis 21, it breaks down into three sections that we're gonna cover. So the first one is one through seven, the promise fulfilled. So Isaac shows up, he's born, he's on the scene. This is God's promise to Abraham fulfilled. Eight through 14 is the conflict, right? No good story comes without some conflict in the middle. And then 15 through 21 is the resolution. So there are three things that I think we can learn this morning from Genesis 21. One from each of those sections. And the first one, and this is sort of the big E on the I chart, this is what I want us to walk away with as a church this morning, is that God keeps his promises. That's the first thing. Second, God is always working and shaping us even in the midst of conflict. So even in the moments where you may not see it, obviously, or you may doubt that God is working, God is always working and shaping us in the midst of conflict. Lastly, God works all things for the good of his people and for his glory. So that's where we're going this morning. Uh, but let's, let's go back and look at some of those moments where God makes these promises to Abraham. So we'll do a quick survey Back to Genesis 15, one through six. I'll read these quickly, but I really want us to to get a hold of this idea that God makes a lot of promises and we're gonna see how he keeps them. So Genesis 15, one through six, and these should be on the screen so you can read along with me. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And he believed God, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham receives this this covenant promise from God that he's going to make him the father of nations, right? He's going to bless him in this way. Fast forward to Genesis 17. Uh, Abraham uh, receives 
a re-up on this promise. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. So some time had gone by and you know this promise had not come to pass yet. So Abraham may have been wondering, okay, God, when is, when is this gonna happen? You've made this promise. When are you gonna come make good on it? So God shows up and re-ups on his promise. So fast forward in chapter 17, 15 through 19. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you. Notice that language that keeps coming up, right? My covenant is with you and you shall be a father of multitude of nations by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So over and over again, as time goes on and Abraham and Sarah get older and older and the fulfillment of this promise looks less and less likely, God still comes back over and over again and says, no, trust me, I've made you this promise and I keep my promises. So put yourself in Abraham's shoes though. God's made this promise that does seem pretty impossible He's made this promise multiple times. Abraham has said that he believes God's words. Remember in the first passage I read, it said Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So we're presented with this picture of Abraham who with his mouth says, yes, God, I believe what you've told me. I believe your promises. But what do we see in Abraham's actions? So Stephen covered this story of Hagar uh, a few weeks ago. We see in Abraham's actions mistrust in God. He says he believes him, but his actions don't prove that to be true. So Abraham was so concerned with his own legacy, which was a big deal in that culture, but not the way that God intended to use his legacy, that is to be a blessing to the world, that he took matters into his own hands. If you remember the story, Sarah, Sarah doubts God's promise as well. And she says, look, this is not gonna happen, but I have this slave woman, Hagar, who's been given to me, why don't you go and have relations with her and we'll, we'll take matters into our own hands. We'll, we'll make this happen, right? It's a dangerous thing to do, but that's how we get Ishmael. So has someone ever made a promise to you that you just didn't trust them to keep? That's happened to me a few times, I think, that we can relate to Abraham at least a little bit, maybe in your story, as I asked that question, God wasn't the promise keeper. Maybe he was. There's a video that went around social media, maybe you've seen it, but it's these kids who um, get this M&M or something like that. It's a piece of candy put in front of them on a table, right? And the adult in the room says, look, if you don't eat this, when I walk away, if it's still here when I come back, I'll give you another one, right? And of course, there's this one kid who's like, yeah, I promise I won't, I won't eat it. Uh, 
And several kids, shockingly, don't eat the candy. It's a surprise, right? Because all of our assumptions are that, no, as soon as the adult walks away, they're going to snatch that candy and it's going to be gone, right? They're going to eat it immediately. And sure enough, a lot of them do. Uh, But thank goodness that God is not like those kids who can't keep their promises, right? As unlikely as some of God's promises may sound, as wild as they may be sometimes, God keeps his promises, Theologian T. Desmond Alexander says the word order in the Hebrew text gives gives prominence to God. It underlines that he is the one who makes it possible for Sarah to bear Abraham a son. In the space of just two verses, there are three references to God doing what he has promised. So the writer of Genesis, Moses, that's why I said this is the biggie on the eye chart, really wants to get across this idea that God keeps his promises. He writes it down three times in just two verses. So the Eminem story, and if you've seen the video, you know how funny it is. It was was meant to be funny. But maybe you are waiting on God to make good on a promise, even this morning. Scripture is full of promises that God makes to you and to me. Let's read some of them. God promises to take care of all of your needs. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He promises to answer your prayers. God promises that he listens when you call out to him. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. God promises to work everything out for your good. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God does keep his promise to Abraham and Isaac is born at the very beginning of chapter 21. But maybe some of these feel like promises that you aren't sure God's going to keep. Some of these things that we just read, God's promise to take care of all of your needs, the promise that he listens to you when you cry out to him in distress the promise that he's working all things out for your good. Maybe some of you struggle with these promises. Maybe you doubt them. Maybe you find yourself this morning not making ends meet financially. Maybe you've been praying for something, praying over a situation for a long time and nothing seems to be changing. Maybe you're facing what feels like an impossible problem and the only outcome that you can see is a bad one. Maybe that's you this morning. If that's you, that's okay. And if I'm honest, there have been lots of times in my life where that's me. I, just like Abraham and just like many of you, has struggled to trust and believe that God is who he says he is and keeps his promises. But that's okay. We need to keep reading. We need to see how God's going to encourage us if we're honest with ourselves like that. So we need to see what God has to say in the rest of the story. He's going to make it clear that he is a God who keeps his promises. So let's get into the text this morning. Um, Isaac shows up in the first part of chapter 21. He's born. There's a lot of celebration. Abraham's faith is bolstered. Isaac, the promised child, is here. It's, everything's great, right? Here comes the conflict in, chapter, er, in verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. 
So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah tells you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So Isaac grows up and is weaned, which really all that means is he goes from a baby who can only have milk to starting to eat real food. But this was celebrated in that culture. It was a big deal because of how harsh life was, the, the high infant mortality rate. Um, so Abraham throws this big giant party to mark this milestone in Isaac's life, probably in a way that he did not do for Ishmael, right? He throws this big extravagant party. Now there's 14 years difference between Isaac and his half-brother Ishmael. And you just have to imagine the scene, right? There's this teenage boy who's already a little moody because he's a teenager. He's sitting off to the side of the party and he sees this extravagance that his father has laid out for really this toddler, right? This baby. And it's a little predictable what happens. He gets jealous. Shocker. I think we would too, right? Um, But he sees this extravagance and he gets Jealous. Verse 9 says that Sarah hears him laughing. And really what the, the word means there in Hebrew is mocking. It's a mocking laugh. And if you've ever been mocked or laughed at before like that, you know it really strikes a chord in you, right? You struggle not to lash back out. Sarah didn't control that struggle very well. Sarah, up to this point, has uh, seen Ishmael um, <clears throat> and Sarah as a part of Abraham's family, They've been sort of in the background, allowed to travel with the family, sleep in the tent, right? But, but not really part of the family. They've been in the background, pretty ignored, not interested in them, right? Sarah literally used Hagar, objectified her, saw her as someone that she could control for her own purposes. And then it seems pretty clear from the text that once Isaac came along, once God made good on this promise, she's like, all right, I'm, I'm done. I've had enough. I have no more use for you and for your son, right? And she tells Abraham, throw him out. Let's be done with them. Uh, she, she's tired of putting up with them, just kind of hanging out in the background. So verse 11, the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. So this could be an episode of daytime TV, right? Like, that's what I pictured today on Mari. Who will Abraham choose? Uh, The Bible is pretty relatable, right? The struggles that the people went through in the Bible are not really that different from what we see in our culture today. There are some differences, but really the root of all of these problems is the same. Abraham doesn't want to do this. He loves his son and he's distressed at the situation. But God does something interesting here. He tells Abraham, it's okay. I've got a plan. Go ahead and do what she says. It may look bad now. I know this is not something you want to do, but I'm going to keep my promise, even if for the moment things look bad. Verse 13, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. God had not forgotten the promise that he made to Ishmael back in Genesis 16. God had not forgotten his promise. So what can we take away from 
God's actions here. It's a really quick interaction, right? Uh, Abraham says he's displeased, and God says one or two things back. It's quick, uh, but we can see a few things that are important. Abraham is struggling. This man of faith, right? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as faith, uh, as righteousness. This man of faith is struggling. And what does God do in this moment where he's, he's breaking apart? God speaks. He guides He makes clear his will and gives Abraham peace. That's a big deal. I love a a song that we sing here every so often. It's based on Psalm 62. The bridge of that song is a really potent truth to hold on to in moments where you find yourself maybe in Abraham's shoes. Maybe your situation isn't as melodramatic, right, as Abraham's. But we all have moments of doubt, of confusion, where we aren't sure what to do. Maybe you aren't even sure uh, what happens is what should happen. It doesn't feel right, right, the way things unfold. Maybe what happens feels wrong. Maybe it's disastrous and painful, and you just don't understand what God is doing. So the lyrics of that bridge go like this. Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good and for your glory. Even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good and for your glory. So in those moments where you find yourself, everything is falling apart, God is working. That's not meant to be just this pithy phrase or thrown around like a Band-Aid, right? Because that's what usually happens. You hear someone come to you with struggles on their heart and you say, oh, don't worry, God is working. It's going to be okay. No, that phrase is really not meant to be slapped on like a Band-Aid. It's a real promise to be held on to when you have nothing else to hold on to. It is an anchor in the midst of a raging storm when nothing else can seem to keep you from being swept under the waves. It is a real promise. God keeps his promises. And we don't have to look any further than the cross to see the brilliant and beautiful truth of this promise. On the darkest day in history, when such evil was committed that the very sky itself went dark, creation shuddered in an earthquake, And the disciples thought that all was lost. It was over, right? The disciples just threw in the towel. They said, it's over, it's done. God was working. He was keeping his promise from Genesis 3 that one day a king would come from Abraham, from Isaac, from Jacob, and from David who would crush the head of Satan, the serpent, and put death to death. God keeps his promises, amen? Amen. The cross is the ultimate example of God's providence and his sovereignty over evil, proving true the passage that proclaims that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. So what does this mean for me and you today, those who may have walked in in the midst of a confusing situation like Abraham, or maybe a painful situation like Hagar, you feel cast aside, unheard, unseen, right? a burden, or maybe a frustrating situation like Ishmael. You find yourself jealous of something. We can cling to this promise together. We can. Romans 5, 3 through 8. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have hope, amen? We have hope. God is working 
in all circumstances. God is always working and shaping us in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of moments where it feels like everything is falling apart. Genesis 21, 14 through 21. So this is the last part of our passage. God works all things for good. It's not just that he's working, always working, but he works all things for good. Let's read the last portion of the passage again. So Abraham arose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy to drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So Abraham with God's assurance, remember God told him, just listen to Sarah, do what she says. I've got this, right? With God's assurance does what his wife asks, gives them a few meager provisions and sends them into the wilderness. Really, and Abraham knows this, this is a death sentence. He's well aware, but he trusts God. As a parent reading this, this was really hard and heartbreaking to visualize. Ever since I became a parent, like, I can't watch movies where kids die. I cry. It happens every time. You can ask my wife. It's hard to, to visualize this scene, right? Hagar knows what's going to happen. So she leaves her son, says, under a bush, and walks away because she can't bear to watch her own son die. So at this point, we're all thinking, okay, let's pretend like we didn't read the last couple of verses, right? We're thinking, God has made all of these promises and he's working in the midst of conflict. Yeah, we get that. But this looks bad. When is this story going to turn around? It's only gotten worse, right? We have the benefit of having read the last couple of verses, but Hagar did not. She is in a desperate and broken place. This is, this is the end. This is it. It's over. So Hagar is weeping. She is waiting to die. And the God who keeps his promises shows up. He hears Ishmael's cries, comes to Hagar. He re-ups on his promise. We're picking up a theme, right? Over and over again, God says, I keep my promises. He provides a well of water. He rescues her from her dire situation. Anna Mead Harris, editor-in-chief of the Rooted Ministry blog, says this, dire circumstances caused Hagar to doubt God's promises to her, but he didn't lash out with an exasperation or chastise her for a lack of faith. No, instead he calmed her fear and met her needs and her sons with compassion. He opened her eyes to what desperation prevented her from seeing, the well of water that was there all along. This quote makes me think of Another woman in desperate circumstances in Scripture, the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. 
Jesus asks this outcast of a woman for a drink of water, and then he blows her mind and he tells her that he knows her deepest, darkest secrets, her infidelity, right? And then he reveals that he also knows and is ready to meet her deepest need. He does these in the same conversation, blows her mind. She had been looking for satisfaction, for love, for comfort, for completeness in the beds of men who used and mistreated her. She had forgotten God's promise. The very same promise that he gave to Abraham at the beginning of our story. Remember, the promise to Abraham was not just a promise for Abraham and his immediate family, not just for Isaac, right? But it was a promise that Abraham would eventually be a blessing to the whole world. Abraham's blessing was intended to begin with his family, but then echo out to all nations, to everyone. The promise was for her. The promise was for the woman at the well. The promise was for Hagar. And the promise is for you and for me. So just like God opened Hagar's eyes to show her the well of water, to show her that he is really all that she needed, Jesus tells the woman at the well this. He says, everyone who drinks this water, speaking of the water at the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come draw water again. So what is God often using in the midst of conflict and difficult circumstances in our lives to produce we find ourselves relating to these characters in Genesis 21 or to the woman in John 4, what is God up to in our lives? Because we often ask that question, right? Or if we're honest, we ask that question. He is often producing a few things. An awareness that our deepest need is relationship, real communion with God himself who created us. He's producing a realization that he is ready and willing to satisfy the deepest desires of our heart with himself, who is our greatest need. In the midst of brokenness and pain, God is working for our ultimate good and for his glory. Through the words of Isaiah, the prophet, God speaks. Let's hear these together. This is an invitation for us this morning. Come everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus' own words come to mind. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The God who keeps his promises, is ready and willing to satisfy our very souls. So how does our story end here in Genesis 21? And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. God was with Ishmael. God kept his promise for Ishmael's good. God keeps his promise to you and to me. Let's pray.